Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 so you see it's not possible to really worship god in the right way and keep your faith to yourself it's not possible for us to gather on a sabbath morning and not proclaim the word of god for unbelievers who come in our midst or those who must grow in it if we are not evangelistic in our worship service we are not obedient to the word of god that's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today, Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message is entitled, Worship is Evangelism, and we hope that you enjoy it. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us anytime during the broadcast. That telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888 888- Two four 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 six seven three. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco. You know, sometimes little children can get things right in the simplest kinds of ways so that it causes us all to think hard about that something profound or cute. Am I right? I'm right. Now, recently I ran across some prayers that little children wrote to God, and they were both fascinating and entertaining to me. And I want to share some of them with you. Here's one. It starts out by saying this. Dear God, if you watch in church Sunday, I will show you my new shoes, Mickey D. Okay, little Nan wrote this letter to God. Dear God, I bet it is hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it, Nan. Now, here is little Robert's patriotic prayer to God. Maybe he went to the inauguration. It actually occurred before the inauguration. Dear God, I am American. What are you, Robert? Now, Jane had a question and a suggestion for God. It went something like this. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you got now, Jane? And another prayer to God. Dear God. I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying, Elliot. That's a contemplative little thought. Now, here's one I really like, and it kind of focuses us in today. Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Neil. Now, Neil was asking a question we all ask at different times in our struggle to understand worship in church and how to get it right. His little child, like mine, was looking at something that to him it didn't seem to fit. What exactly is right and what is wrong for our worship of God in church? And how do we relate to God in the right kind of way inside the church? Valid question. That childlike letter to God was surfacing that. I'd like this day to focus in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not just about prophetic happenings. The book of Revelation is actually a description of how heaven worships and how God expects us to worship as we are an extension of the heavenly sanctuary. In the book of Revelation, the Greek word translated worship is found 24 times 
in the book of Revelation, from Revelation 3, verse 9, where it first appears, to the last chapter, Revelation 22, verse 9, where it appears at the end. So Revelation is the last book of the Bible, provides a huge statement from God as to how worship really ought to happen as we near the end of time. Worship, as I said, is mentioned here 24 times. Now, why 24? Because the number 24 is a symbolic number in the Bible. It teaches us something. The number 24 takes us all the way back to Solomon's temple. And in that temple, God had directed in 1 Chronicles 24 that there would be 24 divisions of the Hebrew priesthood to match 24 divisions for the entire year. Now, why would he choose the number 24? How many hours are in a day? I ask you the question. 24. Now, in Bible prophecy, a day is symbolic of what? You all know. One year. So 24 divisions represents the hours or transitions that occur so that every hour of the year, 24, God's people were devoted to a new focus on worship. So there are two divisions for every month of worship, for 12 full months of worship. And that meant that there were 24 divisions of worship in the ancient temple. We can learn from these numbers. So in a very real sense, the number 24 is the number for temple worship. And since we are an extension, according to the book of Daniel and Revelation, of the heavenly temple, it has something to say to us. So let's do some math here. 24 equals 12, what? Times 2. 12 is the number for Israel in the Bible. There were 12 tribes of Israel. How many disciples were there? 12 disciples. And the foundations of the New Jerusalem. This is a hard question. How many foundations of the New Jerusalem? 12, yeah. So the number 12, if you just follow it through the Bible, represents the number for God's people from Israel in the past to the church at the time of Christ to the future kingdom of God, 12. So in the book of Revelation, the number 2 is associated directly with two witnesses. You'll read it in Revelation 11. And for 1,260 days, they prophesy clothed in sackcloth. Let me take you to the Bible and show you this. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. I'll read this with you. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now verse 2. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample over the holy city for how many months? 42 months. Verse 3. And I will grant my two witnesses power or authority to prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, I'm not going to go into what all that means. I'm going to focus on the concept of worship this morning. The two witnesses in the context are called lampstands in Revelation 11, verse 4. It says they're olive trees and lampstands. And when you look at the context here in Revelation 11, they look like Moses and Elijah in Revelation 11, 5 and 6. Why? Because they turned the water to blood like Moses did. And they destroy their enemies with fire from heaven like Elijah did. So in that sense, they're prophets, sort of. So why are there two witnesses in the book of Revelation? Why is the number two so significant? Here, the context of Jesus' ministry really matters. You can't just read prophecy and not read the rest of your Bible. In Luke 10, verse 1, Jesus sent his disciples out to preach and to evangelize. And does anybody know how he sent them out? Did he send them by fours, fives, sixes? Or by two. It says in the Greek, two by two, he sent them. So he divided them up. In the Old Testament sanctuary of Moses, if you were to go back and look before the temple, the sanctuary in the desert, 
There were two stacks of bread on the table of showbread, which was opposite the menorah candlestick, which illumined the two stacks of bread. So the number two with a lampstand in front of it represented the witness of God's word and by implication the evangelistic witness of God's word in the life of his people as they partook of it so that the light would shine from the world into the darkness around it. Friend, Jesus says without apology that I am the light of the world, right? How does Christ shine? Christ shines when His people take the Word of God through the Holy Spirit and the glory of Christ shines in the believer's life and it shines through the church. You know, we talked about last week, central to the worship of the church by divine design is the Word of God in the presence of God's people when they gather. Now, we're living in a time when many cultures would have you believe that somehow you can worship God and put the Bible over here. The Reformation put the Bible in the center again like the early church had it. And we learned last week that the seed of change for spiritual growth and development is the Word of God. So you diminish and eliminate the Word of God from the worship experience and God's people don't change and grow and know God. When Christ performed the miracle of the five loaves and two fishes, He started out with five loaves and two fishes. Why? Because the five loaves represented the five books of the Law of Moses, the beginning of the Word of God, the Torah, the Word of God, the Pentateuch it was called. But what did the two fishes represent? The two fishes represented the church that shares the Word two by two. Now how do I come up with that? Now if you ever go to Asia Minor, and I've been on a tour of my wife's dad, who's my dad too, took us to Asia Minor, to Turkey, the seven churches. And you'll see these fishes carved on different places where Christians left their mark. A fish was a symbol of Christ and of the Christian church. And by implication in the first century, it was a symbol of a believer. So I like fish. So two fishes represented what? Two Christians working side by side together in love and unity to share the Word of God with others. So when Christ multiplied the loaves and the fishes, He was trying to teach us something. Christ said, wherever two or three are gathered in My name, what does He say? There I am in the midst of them. It takes two to have church, not twenty or a hundred, two. And it takes two to share the Word of God. One will be ineffective. So when we work in unity with others... You know, there's a lot of talk these days about coming together. It's a good thing to have community. Well, listen, if you're in the church and you're not in community with some brother or sister who's trying to share the Word of God, you don't have community. You're seeking something you don't have. You get it when you combine your efforts with someone else to save a lost person. So the number 24 for worship is a mixture of the number 12 for God's people and the number 2 for the evangelistic witness of God's Word, the two witnesses that is shared by two. So you see, it's not possible to really worship God in the right way and keep your faith to yourself. It's not possible for us to gather on a Sabbath morning and not proclaim the Word of God for unbelievers who come in our midst or those who must grow in it. If we are not evangelistic in our worship service, we are not obedient to the Word of God. This is where so much of the worship movement of the last 20 years has failed because it's all about meeting my needs or the music I want to hear and that and so on. And it's not about obedience to the Word of God. And so I speak plainly here. We must align with the Scripture here. We come to God to worship Him. We are meant by divine design to bring other people to God, not just ourselves. And it's not our agenda. It's what they need to hear and we should be adapting to it. 
It takes two Christians in unity to obey God and worship Him. And God considers that form of evangelism worship too, number two. For God, worship is evangelism too, number two. In the book of Revelation, it is possible to worship God in the right way, because we see that there, and in the wrong way too. And we want to get it right, so I'm going to focus on the right way. But it is not possible to not worship at all. And you say, well, you know, if I don't go to church, I'm not worshiping. No, you are. If you don't go to church, you're worshiping the world. And if you're not obedient to God in your worship, you're worshiping something, but it's not the Lord. So it's not possible to not worship at all. We will worship something or else. So every human being, whether they know it or not, will worship either the world or the devil or things or God. And the who or what they worship will determine their eternal destiny. So worship is a huge thing that we have to focus in on here. In the book of Revelation, worship is a serious business and a joyful one. Eternal life is in the mix. So the word of God is central, as I said. The two witnesses. Let's turn back to Revelation 11, 3 and 4 and look at those together. God is saying, and I will grant my two witnesses power to prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the earth. The number two is very important in worship here. We find it encrypted into the number 24. So why are there two lampstands and two olive trees? What do the lampstands represent here? We know what two represents. Witness. Look at Psalms 119.105. The Bible says, Thy word is a what? A lamp to my feet and a... Light to my path. So God's people, two by two, are to share the word of God, which is a light to the world. The two witnesses represent the evangelistic proclamation of the word of God in Christian community and worship throughout the centuries to the end of time. And so we cannot rescript what God has designed to be so in the Christian church. Why? Because worship is evangelism two, number two. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Let's look at the evidences in the flow of the book for what worship is. Number one, I have six characteristics I was able to analyze We start at the very beginning of the book where worship is introduced after a rebuke. So it's really introduced in chapter 4. Proper worship in the book of Revelation begins with reverence and awe. As we puny creatures, and heaven is in that mix too, as they recognize that God is the eternal living creator. Friend, God is infinite in time and space. We don't know how to describe him. And He is the creator of the universe, and that means us too. And that fact alone should bring us to our knees in holy awe as we come into His presence. 
we should have a sense of the grandeur and power of God. Now, if God is only your buddy-buddy, you've missed part of it here. God is God. Revelation 4, 9, 11. Now, here's a description of what happens in heaven as they are focusing on God. And whenever the living creatures give glory. Now, these four living creatures look like an ox, a lion, an eagle, and a man. And they're swift and they have eyes all around them. They're terrific beings and that they are majestic and powerful whenever these mighty beings give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever verse 10 the 24 elders now who are they these are resurrected people who were taken to heaven by christ they are recorded as going to heaven ephesians 4 and what do they do they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever there is a small sample of humanity that was raised at christ's resurrection who are there in heaven worshiping God. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and by thy will they existed and were created. So awe, wonder, music, it comes together as we move through the worship cycle of Revelation. So as soon as you encounter God's power, His eternal nature and majesty, his awe and wonder bring you to your knees with awe and wonder with a healthy measure of fear. And some people say, well, Pastor Mike, we shouldn't be afraid of God. Well, in the wrong way. But if we don't respect who God is, we don't have a sense of who God is, we're not worshiping anything. And so we find that here. But if it's God's power and majesty, if that's all there is to God, you hear me? Then you will be repelled by God. Or you will stay on your knees in fear and you'll never know God. So that's there, but that's not all there is. The book of Revelation does not leave you there with God with a paralyzing kind of fear because of His majesty and awe. In the book of Revelation, the Lamb appears because worship can't go any further in Revelation 4 beyond power and majesty unless there is a moral quality to God that is beautiful, that breaks the heart and draws it close to God in spite of His power and majesty. Friend, it's not good enough to worship God only because He has all of the power in the universe. If that's all, then sooner or later you'll stop worshiping God. God must be a personal God with a moral character that is beautiful to be worshipped at the deepest level or it won't work. So there's a book with seven seals in Revelation 5 and the mystery of God who cannot be understood lies locked in that book of seven seals. Worship has come to a halt and an end in Revelation 4 because they can't get beyond the power business. And suddenly a lamb appears and heaven is crying. Who can open the book with seven seals? And a lamb is found worthy to open the book with seven seals. And thus the resurrected Christ, having been wounded at the cross, appears in the courtroom in the majestic center of the universe. And he takes the book from the right hand of the one who sits upon the throne. And he unlocks who God is. Because he was a lamb that was slain, he's able to show us the God who is beautiful in his moral character of love and mercy for his creatures. And when the lamb shows up, the lamb has authority because of his moral victory to open up this book. And here are the credentials of the lamb that transforms heaven's worship focus from power and majesty, not denying it, but moves it on to God's grace and mercy through the moral victory of the lamb. Revelation 5 verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
And they sing a new song. You see, they got beyond power and majesty and they found something new that shaped their worship. They sing a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Now here's the key point. For thou wast slain, and by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and hast made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. You see, here is the second characteristic of proper worship. We cannot gather as Christians and worship God right without praising God in church for the cross of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? We hear voices today that want to diminish the fact that Christ ransomed us by His blood. Worship is to praise God for the cross of Christ. The apostolic gospel is that which saves the universe from that dead worship of power and awe that can move no deeper. When they saw the cross, they were moved to the new song. Friend, worship is moral and redemptive because of the love of God in Jesus at the cross. If you can't latch on to that fact that Jesus died for your sins, as the Bible clearly teaches, and the sins of other people too, because He loves everyone, as a substitute on the cross of Calvary. That's what it's saying here. Why? Because we're ugly in heart. Because we have offended God. But God is a loving God more than He is a just God. And He poured His justice on Himself to save us from the future we all deserve. There's nothing arbitrary about this. It's an act of love on God's part. And if you can't embrace with your heart the truth that Jesus' death is a beautiful thing, and that Christ taking your place and shedding His blood is a beautiful thing, on the cross, friend, you can't worship God right. The heavenly universe couldn't worship God anymore unless they moved into that new experience. The victory of the cross is why heaven sang a new song after countless ages in which the song was kind of the same, a song about power and majesty and nothing more. And we are told that a contemplation, we are told by a precious dear lady with the prophetic gift that a contemplation of the cross of Christ is the only thing that keeps angels from sinning against God. Angel perfection, she says, was not enough to keep them from falling away from God. Angels worship the Lamb who was slain based on Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation 5, they worship God with praise and joy that ends the tears of a closed book of mystery in which the moral character of God was unknown to the universe until the cross of Christ. So proper worship moves from awe and reverence to praise and joy because the Lamb has taken the power of God and has wrapped it around His moral beauty of love and He suffered on the cross to show us the power and love of God as one, justice and mercy kiss. Friend, when heavenly beings encounter the power of God as our creator and the moral beauty of God in Jesus as our Savior, they say and they shout, Amen. Have you ever read that in the book of Revelation? You know, it's a good thing to say and shout a hearty Amen in church at times because that's exactly what they're doing in the heavenly temple. Turn to Revelation 5.14. And the four living creatures said what? Amen. And then what do they do? They stay in their chairs. They fell down and worshiped. That's more dramatic than kneeling at your chair. Imagine falling down and worship. 
Revelation 7.11, they do the same thing. Worship here is unscripted at points in the heavenly worship cycle. There is order, but there are unscripted and spontaneous moments because of the deep impact of the truth of the Lamb on the heart that is moved by the Holy Spirit to recognize that God can save. And so there's a danger in worship. It's on each side. It's being chaotic, which heaven is not. Heaven is perfect order. On the other side, there's a danger in not allowing the Holy Spirit to do what He needs to do so that those spontaneous moments of change and affirmation can occur in the body. Revelation 7, verse 11. And the angels stood around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Now let's get some practice here. How well do you think angels say Amen. Now, the four living creatures and the angels of heaven were doing the same thing. I mean, what does heaven feel like when they don't hear the affirmations of God in the church? You see, it's not heavenly worship if we don't do it. And all the angels of God, verse 11, stood around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Notice how they mix the moral qualities of God with His power and majesty and a new song has taken over heaven. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko was entitled, Worship is Evangelism. We'll continue this message tomorrow, but you can listen online now at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, that website is reachingyourheart.com. We'd love for you to go there and visit now. You'll find an opportunity to listen to this message again, as well as many other messages archived there for you. That's reachingyourheart.com. We'd love to give you this wonderful free book entitled Soul Care. Go ahead and call us now. It's a short 64-page volume all about becoming a whole in a broken world through a personal relationship with God. We invite you to call at any time for this free book. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart.